This is podcast 321, entitled Subtract, Then Add. And it's a time to finally uh, put a few thoughts in, uh, out there on uh, most um, interesting and uh, unique experience in my own life and ministry, which is a kind of near-death. Um, some of you will know that I was diagnosed with acute coronary failure in the middle of April, together with a precipitating condition, which was also acute. And after a really traumatic, and as one doctor said, a lot of drama, Paul, um, have begun to come out of it, and I'm home, and in fact getting better every day, and although our dining room table has looked like a Walgreens for the last uh, month or so, things are definitely looking up. And I came to the point this morning when I asked David Saul, I said, you know, I think I'm ready to ruminate just a little bit on a podcast uh, concerning what uh, I learned, uh, because I have learned uh, quite a few things on my little daily schedule, which is really pretty light wasn't exactly brimming with uh, multiple uh, command performances before I got sick, but shall we just say it's um, building up a little momentum again. I always now write at the top uh, in a kind of loop that I build with my pen two slash three, because during the uh, worst of it, there was first an echocardiogram, which was a very, very <clears throat> shocking experience, although I'd had one before. And it is, in fact, a very not that shocking experience, but in the context of where I was getting it and how I was getting it, it was a shocking experience. And I received two um, real words, you might say, or as I see them, inspirations from God. And then the next day they gave me a, a heart catheterization, which is the procedure in which they put a stent into your heart or multiple ones. And it's a, it's a I guess I would call it a quasi-surgical or almost surgical or more or less surgical um, intervention in which the patient is actually conscious. And I received three words during that particular procedure, but I'm going to hold off on them because they're um, one was connected with an Outer Limits episode from 1964 in amazing direct application to my own life because you're at what today is called the liminal area. You're sort of at the twilight zone there. You're, you're standing on the cliff or a kind of a... a you're on a ledge there, and the ledge on the one hand side is life, and on the other side is death and extinction, physically speaking. And uh, I really felt that. And I want to say the two, um, the two, um, let's call them thoughts. I I would like to call them insights, but you decide that. Thoughts that occurred to me during the first test, because they were the biggest ones. They were the most important ones. So I'm having this echocardiogram, and I've been told by the specialists that uh, I have a problem, and a serious problem, not a, not a fatal problem if it's treated now, and it can easily be treated, or very normally be treated with uh, medications mostly. And, um, but I have to, it has to be ascertained exactly what the, what the precise degree of the problem is, so I'm getting this echocardiogram, and I'm genuinely wiped out. And as I'm there... I had uh, the following two thoughts, uh, and they came to me with overwhelming um, vigor or strength, and they've lasted. And I think, I hope that they would be helpful to you. I'd really like to preach about them. If I, I would have preached about them earlier if I'd seen them as in as either-or a way. And the first uh, is that when your body is in 
uh, real defense, your, your entire strength, your whole mental, physical, emotional, uh, and, and your, your body and your mind and everything in you is totally concentrated on survival, physical survival, because there's a, there's a problem and all the energy is attracted like a magnet to that particular magnet, which is the problem. And so everything else that is even important to you and nourishing to you and normal to you and even of what you might have said prior to that as a primary significance goes. Now, I'm going to say this, don't, don't, uh, I'm going to uh, modify this as it actually happened. The first uh, um, element of the first thought was the word negation. In other words, at that moment, in the, when I was really um, looking at the, you know, I could hear the heart going, <laughs> And I knew that the problem was one of the pump. The pump was not, the muscle was not <clears throat> pumping adequately. And that's why I had swell, swelling in my tummy, bad swelling in my tummy, and swelling in my ankles called edema. And I heard the, <laughs> and you think to yourself, you know, this sound of your, this in and out sound of the fluid going through your heart, being pumped from your heart in and out, in and out, <clears throat> could stop. It's like an ocean that, because a picture that could simply stop, or a, you could turn the, you know, an art, a wave machine in a amusement park. You can all you need to do is switch the switch, and it stops. And um, I had that feeling. And uh, what occurs to one? And I think this is actually probably occurs to everybody, because by definition, it would have to occur to you, is that everything else in your life, all your normal uh, interests, and I'm talking about the primary ones, not just the secondary and the tertiary ones. I'm talking about the actual things that you think about are negated. Your, your job is negated. Your work is negated. I mean, immediately you see what a joke. All this, you know, I mean, I want to tell women this. Do you think really that you're going to be happy if you have a career and wine at night and a career and you're traveling on airplanes all the time and doing what, what your father did and your husband apparently often does and what uh, men were used to be doing? Do you think that's any fun? I mean, when you get into the situation of acute coronary failure, you're going to feel the same way I did, whether you're male or female. You're going to say, it's negated. Because why? Because you simply aren't thinking about it. It's not negated because you're making a negative value judgment upon it and being all, you know, You've suddenly seen the light about the fatuousness and the um, unreality and um, diaphanous character of everything. It's all like a web of a spider's web that means nothing. You can blow it away, you know, a George Harrison song. No, no, it's simply, it's simply you don't have any other energy to devote to thinking about it. Your energy is entirely focused on your... On your um, on your bodily survival. So, you know, one's career, um, almost all of one's friendships, um, everything, every proper noun, almost, that you can think of in your entire life is negated. Now, at that moment, now don't, don't take this too strongly because this is a very positive podcast. I came out of it a more convinced Christian than ever before. And I've, I'm a convinced Christian for many, many years. I, I've, I've been... I've, uh, I've believed what I've stated, and I still do. And in fact, I believe it, Christianly speaking, more than ever. And that's what I want to say. But this uh, first point is negation. Everything that you thought was important, even the important things, the memories, the vital memories, your mom, your dad, these are negated by the extraordinary um, uh, absorption of the struggle to survive. <clears throat> and yet... 
you need something at that moment. I was overcome with the desire to have Mary hold my hand. Now I could get choked up here, and I, I, uh, I have gotten choked up about it. That's what's interesting. It wasn't a negation in the full sense. It was a negation, but... And the but is, I desperately wanted to, to, to have the physical um, comfort of Mary's hand holding me. Not just anybody, mind you. I mean, it could have been John and Simeon and David. I mean, it could have been someone who really loves me. I sort of made a list in my mind later of the six or seven people in my life who would have passed, for, for, I mean, who, who, whose hand in holding mine would have been a comfort of a connection with another person, a presence of love, people who really love you. You know, you know a lot of people, but how many people really love you for your own sake? How many people actually have your good uh, as a primary interest in their lives? Well, it happened that I have a wonderful wife, and Mary was right there, and I just laid, put my hand out. I asked her to hold it the entire time. Now, let me tell you this. You, people give the movie and the book Love Story, the old... Um, one Eric Siegel book. I, I met Eric Siegel. I was at Harvard when he was there. He was a, famous for his appearances at the Fly Club Garden Party in a kind of uh, jumpsuit, a solid gold-looking, no, a yellow jumpsuit. He was a classics professor, but he, we saw him. You know, I didn't know him, but I, he was just moving out when I was moving in. But um, like uh, that song by Billy Joel, but I... I um, at the end of that book, which gets so much bad press now at Harvard, they hate it because it has to do with clubbies and preppies. and uh, That's the way it is, even now. They just change the names. Um, but it's actually a true, a very true picture of life uh, in many undergraduate, and more importantly, life between a man and a woman, a young man and a woman who at that age fall in love. And at the end, she's dying. Remember, um, Jenny Cavalieri is dying in the hospital, and she only she's dying, literally dying. And she says, Oliver, crawl into bed with me. She's, you know, just as I was at the moment in the hospital, I had um, intravenous in my left arm and intravenous in my right arm and they were putting it in on one side and taking it out in the other and I couldn't move and I had a bed alarm on so I couldn't even go to the bathroom. I couldn't even get it, put my legs over. I mean, it was really, it was really a terrible situation, but I was having this thing done and um, like Jenny Cavallari, and even though she's hooked up, she says, crawl into bed with me. It's not sexual. It's, it's deep. It's deep connection. It's the comfort of another living human being who loves you. It's you're in the presence of love. It's God, really. And um, Oliver Barrett, the fourth, crawls into bed with her. And even though it's against all the rules, he holds her and she dies uh, in his arms. And the same thing happened to uh, somebody else in our family. Uh, I can't remember whom, but somebody else... Um, died and his wife was holding him as he died, literally holding him in her arms as he died. It happens often, but not often enough. And certainly during the terrible days of the lockdown, this was so misunderstood. The nature of what a human being is was so misunderstood by uh, the um, protocols that governed uh, hospital visitation, a terrible thing erroneous thing, but um, Somerset mom, who was terribly angry and very difficult and really, really was a bad patient. He couldn't have been a, a less nice character as he was dying down in Cap Ferrat, wherever it is in France. And the last night as he was dying, he begged for his nurse, an Englishwoman, I think, I think, to crawl into bed with him and put her arms around him. And being a good nurse who really understood about what's important, she did. And she put her arms around Somerset Mom until he was able to relax because he was so angry and so anxious about dying. And he was an atheist at that time and he was so upset. And she calmed him just by putting her arms around him. She said, there was nothing sexual about it because there couldn't have been. I mean, he was so, he was completely dying, you know, there he is. And But the point is, holding her hand. I needed to hold Mary's hand. I needed 
needed, rather, for love to hold me, and she did. And the entire time of that test, which for me smacked of the liminal, what people call the, the, the borderland, as an Outer Limits episode called the borderland, the borderland between life and death physically, I was there. Now, the second thing that happened, as I was um, holding Mary's hand, but I didn't give voice to it, I said, I said to myself, I said to God, really, is there anything really after we die? I mean, what if I were to die? What if I were to find out, you know, this is my feeling, <clears throat> watching, watching, hearing, seeing my heart, which was sick, <clears throat> weak, pumping like this, I thought, well, now's the time. I'm, if, if I should die in the next day, 24 hours, is it really true that there's life after death with God? Is it true? And the, my, my question was answered instantaneously. And it was answered a little funny because of the, I'm, I, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. I heard, as, as it were, an overwhelming sound in my ears, a little bit like that time when Brandy, you're a fine girl, uh, came to me while listening to a sermon by Paula White in which God spoke to me so vividly and importantly, I'll never forget it. But on this occasion, just a few weeks ago, the Hallelujah Chorus by George Frederick Handel came to me from Handel's Messiah. It came to me just overwhelmingly, not crashing, but hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And the text, you may remember the text that is repeated, the kingdom of this world this is the King James, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. I think that's Revelation 8.15. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's what it is. And that the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And that came to me. And the funny thing is, because I'm who the person who I am, different from the person who you are, and God will speak to you in the way that you can hear. It's like a, it's like that, you know, a voice that speaks to the whole world, but in each, like Pentecost, you know, God's word in each in their own tongue. Well, in this case, the tongue which it came to be, it happened to be, and I'm tell, I swear to God, I swear to God, the um, form of the Hallelujah Chorus that came into my head as I was having, as Mary was holding my hand, as I was having the echocardiogram, was the version of it from the 1965 wonderful movie, which I love so much, by George Stevens, called The Greatest Story Ever Told, with Max von Sydow and every actor you've ever heard of, including Sidney Poitier as the Simon of Cyrene and John Wayne as the Centurion at the Cross. And um, the movie is fantastic. I've always thought that, but it wasn't a thinking thing. The version of the Hallelujah Chorus that came to me is the version that you're going to hear at the end, which is a little Hollywoodish. It's just a little bit pop. You'll, you'll, you'll hear it. It's not strictly speaking, you know, original instruments uh, being performed in Copenhagen, Uppsala Cathedral, or, you know, Göttingen Parish Church, or, or uh, Westminster Abbey. It's performed in a sound studio in Hollywood in 1965. Hallelujah! But that's what came. Instantly, I was being told, you are going to... the presence of God and of his Christ. And the kingdom of this world, that's the part that's negated. I mean, I don't care what you want to say to me. It negates everything you've ever been up to. And I mean everything save love 
and where love, you know what I used to call, well, uh, the evidence of love in your life, the evidence of belovedness, it, but it negates, it, this is not an either or, this is, I mean, I mean, sorry, this is not a both and, this is not, only because it, it, it was that way for me. The body, the body's preoccupation with survival um, simply closed the door on absolutely every single proper noun of my entire life. I mean, every single one. That's not a rejection, it's a negation, because all that I needed and wished for. Uh, the entire boundary of what I wanted was love from someone who loves me, not just someone I love, because there's a lot of people, some people I've loved who don't love me. You have a few too. You've loved a couple people very much who it turned out really didn't give a hoot. You know, we're, we're, we're using you or we're involved in their own agendas and you were just one part of it or, or they stopped loving you or they lost their love for you or they never really had it. You just misread it. I mean, or you, you, uh, you read into things that weren't there. Well, this, uh, I needed to be uh, comforted by someone who loves me and I was. And then I heard Handless Messiah. Oh, well, you're about to hear it. You're going to hear the actual version of Handel's uh, Messiah, um, uh, Hallelujah Chorus, as it is uh, at the very end. It was interesting because um, George Stevens had a little fight with Alfred Newman. Alfred Newman was the great and epic Hollywood composer who composed an incredible score for the greatest story ever told, etc. And um, George Stevens insisted that on two different parts of it, one, the progress, progress to the cross, the Via Dolorosa, that they use Verdi's Requiem, uh, which was fine, but um, he then said, Alfred, for the actual resurrection itself, when Mary and Martha and the women come to the tomb and see the angels, one of them played by Pat Boone, who I think does fine, and he says, he is not here, he is risen. I want to have the actual hallelujah chorus uh, and uh, from Handel, not from you. And uh, Newman apparently sort of laughed about it and said, all right, of course. So that was, that's how it ends. That's how the movie ends. And in fact, the healing of Lazarus sequence, which is the end of part one of that movie, uh, does include a reference to the actual Hallelujah Chorus. So that's what you're going to hear. Okay, I told you two things. Um, my own uh, brush with um, a very severe illness uh, diagnostically in the hospital um, from which I'm recovering uh, was uh, first the absolute uh, anchor and centrality and unique um, importance of the physical touch of someone who loves you. And number two, who cares for you? And number two, the, uh, the fact that uh, this is not the end and that uh, Christians... Are, I was justified in uh, believing uh, that he is the resurrection of the life. Come unto me, all ye who let travel and are heavy laden. And uh, there, is, uh, there is a river, uh, the streams whereof make glad the city of God. And that's what I wanted to tell you. And now let's go back to um, something that meant so much to me at that moment, the Hallelujah Chorus from 1965's Greatest Story Ever Told. Love you.